Stopping advanced threats requires knowing exactly what you're up against. ExtraHop Reveal X is the only solution that shows you not just where intruders are going, but where they've been. 90-day look-back and complete network visibility across the data center, cloud, and device edge help security teams respond 84% faster with ExtraHop Reveal X network detection and response. Explore the interactive demo at securityweekly.com forward slash ExtraHop. Welcome back to Business Security Weekly. I am your host, Matt Alderman, joined by Paul Lassadorian. Do you have a specific guest or topic that you want us to cover on one of the shows? Submit your suggestions for guests by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash guests and completing the form. We review those often and we'll reach out to you if you've been approved to come on one of the shows. Also, if you've missed any of our previously recorded webcasts or technical trainings, they are available online for your viewing pleasure at securityweekly.com forward slash on demand. All right, Paul. So uh, mm. the articles, uh, but before I, I, I put it in the opening, seven Super Bowl rings for one Mr. Tom Brady. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty amazing feat when you think about it, right? We've seen a lot there of There was great some statistic, Matt, like he's got more, more wins or the mo- highest winning percentage out of anyone out of all of the four major, major sports. sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to compete at that level, one thing that I noticed about Tom Brady and others that compete at, at that level level on a you know kind of similar playing field is that they're never happy. They never settle. They're always constantly tweaking something about their regimen, their routine, their preparation. It's always constantly being tweaked to, to see if they can get more performance out of it. They never, ever, ever settle. I think that was really telling about you know, if you translate that into your career and for this show on, on CISOs, like never settle with where you are in terms of your security programs, your technology infrastructure, because as soon as you do, you're, you have no chance of being the best, none whatsoever. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting to me on this storyline a little bit is what if he stayed with the Patriots for a second, right? Let's just well, play yeah. this out. Does he continue to evolve his game right. because you kind of get used to the routine? Uh, in in but by yeah, changing, true. by going it's down true. to Tampa, yeah. I mean he had to change. I, I mean, think about well, but all what the did that, leadership I mean, communication skills he's yeah. he had to get oh, yeah. that team aligned. But let me let's talk football for a second too. I mean, I don't know if he went to Tampa and they kind of laid all this out for him, but the way that it worked out was like, all right, hey, you're gonna come to Tampa. You're going to have a defense that kicks butt, an offensive line that's really good. By the way, we're going to bring Gronk out of retirement. We're going to get you Antonio Brown. And if you can take us all the way to the Super Bowl, we're going to have home field advantage. Like, how do you say no to that? <laughs> right? I mean, those are all the things he didn't have uh, at New England, right? I mean, the past few years in New England, I think we really struggled in those in those areas. And it just goes to show you that, Yes, one person in the quarterback is really important, but you have to surround yourself with a great team, I think, is the other lesson uh, as well, Matt. They gave him great people to throw to, and they gave yeah. him a great environment to to flourish in. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think it, you know... Yeah, I don't think you take away anything from Belichick, too, because I was thinking about that. They, at one time, had a fantastic team, but don't forget, a lot of those coordinators went off to get head coaching jobs. Yeah, I think that they really do, and that's what system. happens. Yep, and and sometimes change is good for a leader yeah. to 
to kind of take yourself to the mm-hmm. next level. I thought he did a fantastic job with that team. It took them a while to figure it out. Yeah. You know, they were but like being seven comfortable. and five, yes. 12 weeks in. They I, they were still figuring it out. I think that's something that really in this story that we're talking about that highlighted for me, like being comfortable with change is one of the things that can make you a great leader. It certainly can, right? Tom Brady had to be really comfortable with change. As he got older, he had to change his regime. And I, I, obviously, being a New England fan, I follow Tom Brady a lot more closely than maybe some of our listeners, right? Always changing his routine as he got older. A lot of professional athletes go through this. They have to change their routine, right? Jordan did a great interview with Mike Tyson. It's absolutely hilarious, by the way. And, you know, Tyson's in his 50s and was like, I want to go box again. Like, think about how your routine changes, right? And so being comfortable with change. I think is another great takeaway, Matt. Yeah, no, agreed. It's a great game. I enjoyed it a lot. Oh yeah, um, I one because I, I'm not a Chiefs fan, so <laughs> I know I feel bad for my neighbors are Chiefs fans. I'm like, I've been there. I mean, I've been there. Go to Super Bowls and lost. It sucks. It does. But they get a young quarterback. They'll be, they'll be fine. Yeah, they'll be fine. Now, we brought in a bunch of articles for kind of this early phase of a CISO discussion. I, I There were a couple of very interesting articles that I thought were some good foundational articles. We were talking with Ben last segment, you know, about being a CISO. And when you get that first CISO job, what it's, what's it like? And what do you expect? And, and there were some really good, just some foundational articles. So this first one from EC Council talks about uh, a guide to building your cyber security risk management framework. We, we talked a lot in the last segment more about risk than vulnerabilities threats, because that's the role the CISO is moving into. So EC Council lays out this kind of like nine-step framework f- around building a, a, a risk management framework. I thought it was good. Yeah. There, there's a couple areas here I would debate, um, like the order of a couple of the steps. Yeah, but I because, think it's, it's hard to create a guide, right? Because the guide... Is going to be different for every. It's hard to create that high level guy. I think it's good for people who want a casual read to kind of get a general feeling about some of the things you should be thinking about. Right? Don't mistake that for like this is there. There's like a guide for being a CISO that you can just pick up this guide and you can be effective as a CISO. Like that's not it at all. There's books. There's compliance program. There's all the stuff. But even at that, uh, again, I think it goes back to some of the qualities we just talked about at the top of this segment, being comfortable with change, never settling, and constantly making making those tweaks. And I really, you know, Ben kind of um, stoked the fire as some of the things you have to think about when, when you're a CISO and making sure security is applied to certain processes, just going to require different skills. Guides may be helpful, but certainly not the whole picture. Yeah, and they kept this high enough level, Paul, where I think it it it, it can be useful for a lot of organizations uh, and for CISOs. Mm-hmm. You know, understand your security landscape, identify the gaps, right? All great steps. I think they jump into create a team and assign responsibilities. Yeah, I get it. I got gaps. I need to might need to fill them. Mm-hmm. But they don't talk about implementing a risk management framework until much later. And, and I think part of when you go to hire a team, you also want to have a good idea of kind of which framework you're going down and, and kind of what things you're planning to implement because they could influence what type of team members you bring in. So there was a couple things that were slightly out of order for me that I'd want to know which risk framework I was going to use based on my initial analysis that could help guide my decisions into hiring the right resources on the team to Agreed. fill some of those gaps. That Agreed. was, yeah. that was the one place. Yeah. It, it, Cause that, you know, it's establishing that risk 
appetite is like the first step, those high level conversations, which as if you and I have laid out a lot in the past, right, is, okay, then where do we go next? We're going to attach to some kind of standard as a good starting point, right? In those early conversations, drive which one, which may drive what else you want to do, what people you bring on the team, like you said, where the organization is the most weakest, what level of security maturity they have, like all of those are factors that, that play into it. Yeah, so things like set, uh, step seven and eight, implement a risk management framework and develop a risk assessment program, yeah. I'd move them up a little higher Agreed. if I were doing this. Uh, that way, I'd have a better idea on the type of team and the types of controls I was going to implement um, in my organization. They followed this blog up with a second blog, and I referred to it in the first article. I, it, it's kind of hyperlinked in there, and it's the risk management best practices post-COVID-19. Word of caution. There's a couple things in here that just didn't make sense to me. So, all right, yes, got to determine my weak spots. I need to apply new technologies and techniques. And then it says install antivirus programs. Mm -hmm. but, but, like, if I'm deploying new and advanced capabilities, why am I talking antivirus? It, it just, mm -hmm. it just seems really out of place for me. It's like, okay. Uh, maybe this is a little too early on. Yeah, um, we should almost do a series of segments because I think I've got certainly you, well, you and I both have materials on how to do this, uh, mm -hmm. or a guide on like what roads to go down. And you and I both have some quadrants and, and graphs that kind of lay out like jumping right to antivirus is one thing. Like you got to think about endpoint as a bucket and right detect, protect, react collect logs and analyze that's all part of that bucket and there's like different phases and things uh sunil did a great job uh with the the matrix thing that he put together have you seen you've seen that right we had sunil on uh esw hmm. got it it's the, the uh, cyber it, matrix thing in any case like yeah there's a i mean we pull from multiple different standards and things like that i think we could right. do better than a lot of these articles are, are the articles are great i'm gonna try to knock the the articles, EC Council's great, right? And it, it, they're good for, a, again, a quick read to glean some mm -hmm. some knowledge and help guide. But I, I think there's a, a little meatier stuff we could put together. Yeah, and, and when you just jump into things like antivirus and, and yeah. VPNs for remote access, you're like, wait, you're not thinking about it holistically enough. Right. It, you need a remote a access solution. That's mm -hmm. part security. It's part IT. It's about the needs of the business the risk appetite of the business and then you have to put uh, the solution uh, together and you may right. have to displace a solution that already exists now you're talking about an upgrade project all in that one fell swoop yep yep exactly right so the first two articles really are talking about building your risk management framework the next article the big eight uh, uh around governance is now i have to I have to manage and, and govern that program, mm. right? So I thought it was a really interesting, logical next step, you know, to talk about, you know, then what's the governance aspects around that program that you just put in place? There's some really, there, there's a couple little like time bombs in here that I thought were interesting. I was, mm -hmm. I was hoping Jason was going to be on today because, yeah. you know, he, he would get into a couple of these with us. You know, one is empower the CISO to report directly to the CEO. Yeah. I mean, that's when he's, li I mean, he's lived that. He's lived right. through not being that and being that, right? So he right. speaks from experience on that point wholeheartedly. But yeah. then, but then we heard Ben say there's there are Fortune 500 companies that still that don't, don't even have, have a CISO. 
I'm still let alone that, that's still a not sitting, that reports to the CEO. It's still not sitting well with me. I'm really concerned for our critical infrastructure. If you think about where the Fortune 500 play here in the U.S., being concerned about you know our country selfishly, uh, that's a little concerning for me. Yeah, there's a couple more nuggets in here that I thought were interesting. Allocate at least 10% of your IT budget to cybersecurity. Now, I know there's a ton of vendors out there that would love to see 10% yeah. IT budgets dedicated to security because we're used to like 3 to 4%. Right. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that's true. Uh, but I think you can easily start creeping. And again, it's not about the money that, that, that you spend, whether you're spending 3 to 4 to 10 in uh, looking at governance of your cybersecurity program. These are talking about more of the higher level kind of things, right? Rubber has to meet the road. What I'm finding is extremely difficult, and I've pushed a lot of people in our interviews too, and they all agree that it's difficult, is implementing both the process and the technical controls to be able to go, if a control falls off in the forest, how do I know and how do I fix that easily? Mm-hmm. And not just in one area. I find a lot of organizations will do it well in vulnerability management, right? I mean, a lot of great organizations kicking butt in vulnerability management, but then you go to cloud posture and you go to endpoint config, like, and some of that starts to fall down. So that's that's hard. That's hard. Yeah, definitely. Uh, ben brought up communicate with customers and suppliers, the whole third party yep. aspects. And one that ties into the next article: stay up to date on regulations. Look, from a if you're in the role and, and governance is part of this, you have to understand what's going on with the different regulatory. Mm-hmm. Uh, requirements that are coming out. So for the next article, I put in what I thought was a super a great guidebook, like a hand guide yep. for CISOs. Uh, it links to the big federal and state regulations that you potentially would fall under in this role. Uh, you know, a lot of this alphabet soup I've dealt with in my career for a long time. I mean, I started uh, doing the work that I was doing on the, in the compliance mm-hmm. side because of Sarbanes-Oxley and third-party yep. vendor management. And, and it was all based on uh, a lot of the stuff with Sarbanes-Oxley. And Sarbanes-Oxley was the early days. 2000s. That was pre-2008. Yes. and But Sarbanes-Oxley was based on a bunch of, a series of other events where the CEOs weren't being held responsible basically for what was on the books. Well, executives in general, it, yeah. not just not just C levels, right? Executives yeah. in general, yeah. Yeah, Graham Leach Bliley was the federal law That's that allowed the, the banks yeah. to do insurance. Sarbanes Oxley was more for public companies because of all the things yep. with like WorldCom and that's what it some was. The, yeah, Enron was that Enron? Yeah, Enron, Enron. WorldCom. Yes, there were a few of them. Yeah. yeah. So, like now yeah. with compliance, we just did an interview with uh, Josh Marpet um, about CMMC. Uh, and the nonprofit he's creating to help uh, organizations. It was kind of a great dive into compliance. There are things you must do to be compliant with laws. There are things you must do to be compliant with compliance standards, but then starts to go down a rabbit hole because compliance standards, such as PCI, say you must or you should based on what it is, and then not complying with that could be like you have a chance to improve or you're subject to fines and you have to weed through those waters to basically figure out like what you must do and like maybe what you should do and then the other bucket of we accept the the risk kind of thing and that's right compliance in a nutshell basically and it goes back to the risk conversation that Mm -hmm. we started with right 
is once you understand risk tolerance, then you know what are these regulations you're going to do, which ones you're not going to do, which ones you're willing to pay fines on. I mean, PCI is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. At a certain level, certain merchants, it's probably cheaper for them to pay the fine than it is to implement all the security controls. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is that is a logical decision to make for certain organizations. If you understand the risks associated right. with that stance, you could do that, and some have. Yep. Uh, let's see. Next article. Uh, three ways. I think this is uh, three ways to communicate, uh, speak to the speak the board's language around cyber risk. Um, and again, you see the theme, right? We're talking risk to the board. We're not talking threats and vulnerabilities. Yeah. If you're gonna be an effective CISO, you have to understand and associate cyber risk with business risk, and be able to have those conversations with the board. Um, and, and I think you're going to see more of this. There's some stats in this article about how many people have, you know, cybersecurity at the board level and, and what it's going to be in a few years. But it's really just talking about more about, all right, how do you present the data in a way that makes sense to the board members, right? It, mm. it, it is not technology speak here. It is not necessarily vulnerability and threat speak. They want to understand, okay, what... What's going on, and how does that pose risk to the business? Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm realizing that how important that is in one respect, that if the board asks, hey, what are we doing about cybersecurity, and they get back a bunch of technical jargon and stuff they don't understand, they're not going to ask that anymore, right? We want to be in the position where the board, there's an agenda item in the board meetings, uh, you know, globally, that they're asking, okay, cybersecurity status, what, what is that? And if you've got good answers that are communicated correctly to the board, it's going to be an agenda item and something that they ask about. If you're kicking them back with, like you said, vulnerabilities and threats, that's that's not going to be effective. And not, they may not ask. Yeah, and it could be a graphic. It could be something that's not so detailed. It's, mm. it's something a little higher level. Some draw a picture for them, right? Let them help them understand what it's, what are those potential impacts to the to the overall business because most board members are more financially focused than they are mm -hmm. cyber focused, right? To right. them, it's about revenue, profitability, customer retention, things that are going to drive the business. It's not about, well, I've got APT 31 over here that's doing this. It, it, it just, yeah. it doesn't equate. Mm. Doesn't equate. Uh, this other article talks about um, some high-level threat intel reports and how to build threat intel reports for the board. I, you know, it was interesting. I thought I, I'd pull some interesting nuggets out of here, but as I was digging into it, I'm like, do you really want a cyber threat intel report to some of these folks? I mean, can you ever make a cyber threat intel report really easy to understand and, and translate to the business. Uh, I haven't seen one yet, so mm. I, I'm not quite sure that this article is going to help some people who need to do that, but uh, yeah. I was hoping to get some better nuggets out of this one. And I think you have to balance when you extrapolate too high up, what's the value? Like, what are you trying to communicate? And if you have to dilute that message enough to make it fit in a board meeting, is there really a message left at the end of the day? And maybe you're better off communicating something else that speaks yeah. to that but it's not i'm gonna give you a cyber threat report right because it's probably if you're not going to be talking about apt groups and 
and that kind of stuff. Like really, what's the point? You know, you're better off talking about your your risk posture, your overall security maturity curve, how that's going to enable you to be compliant via CMMC. That's a great example, right? Hey, we want to do business with the federal government. Therefore, we have to meet these standards. Here's where we're at. Here's what it's going to cost maybe. And here's the business we're going to be able to do because we're at that certain level. And here's what it's going to cost to maintain it, right? That's a much better. Way more effective than a cyber threat in total. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that might be important for maybe a working group kind of similar to how laws are developed maybe in, in, in this country, right? There's a working group that is digging into the details and going through that and producing those reports. But when it gets presented ultimately right to the president, it's still down. And other people have taken that into consideration. Yep. Uh, this last article, uh, I, it was interesting. 12 uh, security career killing um, things. Uh, and, and I thought I would go through this list and tell you which ones of these I've actually done or haven't done. <laughs> yep. So believing security is the end goal. No, I've never done that one. Uh, you know, I knew from very early days that security was a process, not a project. Uh, and when compliance got introduced into the, into the mix in the late nineties and early two thousands, it only made it more evident that security w- was not an end game. Uh, so I learned that very early in my career. So I've never made that mistake. I'd argue you have to do a lot of these things. Oh yeah. Sometimes, I mean, number two, sometimes to be right. I, I mean, everybody gets stuck. Sometimes you got to lose your cool. Sometimes you got to be tactical and not strategic. Right. I mean, there's pluses and minuses to doing all these things at certain times. You got also got to make mistakes too and, yeah. and learn from them. And there's just no getting around that. Exactly. I think, you know, being too timid could get you in, 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 into some trouble. I mean, again, most people who, who know me know I'm, I'm not very timid. Uh, yes, I can lose my cool <laughs> and have, right. I'm sure, uh, multiple times somewhere along the way. Yeah, but some of that uh, speaks to passion too, you know. And, yeah. you know, there are times when maybe you want to be timid as well. I mean, I, I'll admit when we first, you know, required by CRA, you got you to feel it out, right? Made, you know. Put your ears on and listen first. Maybe some people mistake that as timid. Put your ears on and listen first before you jump in and do things. So I, I think don't think of these as all things that could kill your career. Think of them as tools that you can use, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially the run around building other skills. I, I mean, if I would have thought way back in the day that I would be in product management, product marketing, mm. marketing, strategy, no, I mean back then it was technology driven, which yeah, which is build the right things. skills at the right time. That's yes. I would take this and change that into exactly that, right? Sometimes you could maybe you're building skills, but they're not the right ones, and that's also a failure. So I would change that one if I were writing this article. You got to build the right skills at the right time. Exactly, and that's how I mean that's it, easier said than done. Certainly, yeah, you gotta have of course. a crystal ball, and some would be predict, but you make your best guess and. And stick with it. Certainly don't not build any skills. That would be bad. <laughs> right? That is true. And you may stay in security. You may not stay in security. I mean, building those skills gives you other opportunities, both mm-hmm. in the profession, not the profession. Uh, I think they're all valid. And, you know, sometimes they help you, you know, kind of raise your game and, and be a little more strategic. Maybe you don't want to be. That's okay. You know, I thought it was a very interesting list, and I was like, oh, yeah, I've done that one. Ooh, yeah, I did that one. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's probably why I got... No. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I would say, you know, build some skills around what you're trying to secure is a good one too. If you're in or looking to break into ICS as a security, you got to learn what ICS is. Same thing with software. If you want to, you know, be in DevOps and be secure and building software, you got to spend some time building some software. I think it's it's very vertical dependent too. I think healthcare can go be the same the same way, right? Just walk rain cold having never done healthcare and be a CISO. Probably not too many CISOs that are <laughs> that are in that in that position, right? They look for people with, you know, that have some healthcare uh, background most of the time. Exactly. That's not a hard yeah. fast rule, but most of the time. Yeah, most of the time. Got to have some skill set typically in the industry in yeah. order to get in. Yeah, for sure. All right, that's my list of articles for the week. Paul, thank you for joining me. We'll get Jason back on here in a couple of weeks and, and we'll do this again. <laughs>